The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From LinkedIn News, I'm Jesse Hempel, host of the Hello Monday podcast. In my 20s, I knew what career success looked like. In midlife, it's not that simple. Work is changing, we are changing, and there's no guidebook for how to make sense of it. Start your week with the Hello Monday podcast. Listen to Hello Monday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Radio studio at the George Washington Broadcast Center. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. If you're Vladimir Putin, you want to continue to be as harsh, as terrorist as you possibly can mm. on the population of Ukraine. So what you kind of like is, oh, I'm going to let a few people out. But mm, by the way, there are still hundreds still trapped there. And by the way, Willie, before you even get to those trapped in the steel factory, there's still probably 100,000 Ukrainians in that city Mm. holed up under perhaps slightly better conditions. But they're at risk as well. Putin wants to signal all of that. So they let some of the people out of that steel plant, some of the civilians, but it wasn't very easy. They would start shooting and shelling. After a few people get out, for instance, yesterday, 50 buses went there and left empty because they said, we can't do this. Thought they were going to be able to get them out. Couldn't. Um, And uh, and as you just heard there, that's from a guy who used to be the former NATO Supreme Commander. 100,000 people still in Mariupol that are in practically as bad of conditions. There might be, there have already been 20,000 Ukrainians killed in that town. There could be six figures of people killed in that town. I mean, this could be one of your all-time historic, like Alexander the Great, Genghis Khan type, wiping out a city. And I just wish there was something that could be done about it. By the yeah, way, well, on that story, CNN is reporting that all contact has been lost with the last Ukrainian defenders in Mariupol as new battles have broken out at that steel plant. So as you know, over the last several weeks, there have been there's been some sort of communication. You've seen videos. The Washington Post did an interview. All all communication has been lost now as they're under severe attack. So this might be the end game for that steel plant. 
Yeah, I wonder. They might just be too busy killing Russians, um, but who knows? Who knows? They can't hold out forever. Although we found out they were being rearmed and resupplied somehow, right? It's hard to know what's going on and what's not. Remember when I brought you the story last week that the ghost of Kiev was a real actual pilot and how many planes he had shot down and they had his actual name and Zelensky gave him a Medal of Honor? That all turned out to be fake, I guess? Or You, you can't go with the last story being the true one. That doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Um, but the story all day yesterday was there never was a ghost of Kiev. That's uh, that's a made up story. That's a myth. Something, and out of legitimate news sources, I'm saying I'm not looking at like random tweets. Wow. So who knows what's real and what's not? And if you got to lie, Ukrainians, to try to help to get over, fine with me. Do whatever you got to do. I'm not offended. Yeah. Oh yeah. No. No. The fog of war exists for a lot of different reasons. Um, so I thought the other stuff that James Stavridis said, the uh, former chief commander, NATO supreme allied commander of U- Europe, et cetera, et cetera uh, I thought some of the other stuff he said was interesting. I don't know which ones you want to air, but uh, man, does he lay waste to the Russian military in his description. Go ahead. Uh, yeah, let's do uh, let's do 34. Yeah, this has all of us very focused, and I'll give you three possible explanations and kind of descending order of probability. Number one, top of the list, Occam's razor. Go with the simplest explanation, and that would be incompetence. Um, There's no magic wand that's been waved above the Russian forces. So the same lousy tactics, techniques, and procedures you saw up north are probably at play. So number one, maybe they're just not that good. Yeah, I hope so. He's laying out the three reasons Russia is failing, as there's a New York Times and Washington Post stories out today about how Russia's bogged down in their phase two also. And the most likely is that it's the same incompetent, defeated, unmotivated military that failed in their first phase. So good. I hope that's the case. Reason number two, Mr. Admiral, sir. Number two, I like this one, um, confusion in Moscow. Um, People around Putin not quite sure what's going to happen next. An isolated president. And if I put myself in the shoes of the Russian commanders in the field, I'm going to be real conservative. I'm going to go real slow. Mm. I don't want to make any big mistakes because I don't feel confident with the leadership behind me. Yeah, how about that? So you're in command of some people, and you're told you're supposed to go take that hill or whatever, and you're going to suffer casualties and maybe die yourself. It'd be easy to think, ah, let's, uh, yeah, we're still getting everything ready. You know, you can see putting that off for a couple of days or weeks hoping that the whole thing might be over and you save your life and don't have to kill a bunch of innocents. That's what I'd do. And reason number three, sir? And then number three, and I like this one the least, and I think it's the least likely, is that the Russians are restaging, getting ready to go, and that on May 9th, which is Tuesday coming up, Victory Day speech, Putin wants a big flashbang out of that. So let's wait and see what happens Tuesday. I'm still going to go with door number one. Well said, Zorba. That's his nickname. I saw that on Wikipedia. <laughs> um, so we had this, he's Greek. We had the story earlier about how the Ukrainians, with our help, I'm sure to a great degree, defeated the Russians' attempt to have an electronic field over the battlefield, an electronic bubble that would protect them. And it didn't work. And the Ukrainians have more of a bubble than the Russians do and all that sort of stuff. That is why 
the predictions early on were Russia's going to take Kiev in like four hours. This is this whole war is going to last two days, and that's why Zelensky ought to get out of the country because we believed that Russia had the technology to give themselves a bubble to where there'd be no penetrating any of their um, uh, information, knowing where they are. The Ukrainians would be fighting blind, and none of that turned out to be true. That that sounds to me like that was the big game changer in this whole story in the first couple of days, why it went from Russia will take them in two days to they're completely stalled two and a half months in. And as shocking as some of this is, it probably shouldn't be to those of us who studied the Soviet Union because everything in the Soviet Union was fake to a large extent. Their nuclear arsenal was real as far as we can tell, but um, their their productions, uh, I'm sorry, like their production numbers, we've churned out this many of uh, these tractors, or we've produced this much wheat, or yes, the, uh, the subjects in this area have done this 80%. It's all fake. You just fake up the paperwork, you send it up the chain, the, the, the system is rotten and hollowed out. Well, uh, some oligarch who I quoted earlier who's in trouble or dead or exiled or something said, well, of course the Russian military is a fake. Everything in this society is a fake. It's all corrupt. Everybody's stealing. Who thought that the Russian military was actually elite? You haven't been paying attention. And, you know, he was right, as it turns out. On the other hand, Moscow is preparing to annex vast swaths of Ukrainian territory in coming days, the U.S. said a day or two ago, potentially moving to cement control over much of the country's east, even as Russian forces are struggling to capture key areas. They think they're going to formally formally claim, as part of Russia, the eastern Ukrainian regions of Donetsk and Luhansk, along with the southern city of Kherson, amid intense ongoing military battles. What that means and what it'll, it'll bring, uh, I don't know. They're going to fake up some sort of referendum and say, hey, the people uh, here just voted. 90%, they want to be part of Russia. I don't know who that's for. So you know the White House Correspondents' Dinner was Saturday night. I didn't pay any attention to it. Um, I couldn't either because I was so t- uh, wrapped uh, watching the Met Gala. But uh, from ABC News correspondent Jonathan Carl, who was there, he said today, much of Tuesday afternoon seemed to consist of attendees trading text messages and emails with colleagues and friends that have now tested positive. Hey, I got a buddy who tested positive. Yeah, I tested positive, too. So apparently it was a super spreader event, as the joke was at the time. It's because the Omicron is so incredibly contagious. It's just shockingly contagious, whether you're vaccinated or not. It doesn't make you very sick, for the most part, for most people. I mean, like, practically everybody doesn't get sick or symptoms at all. But um, it is so spreadable. Which reminds me, I heard a story in NPR today on the drive-in. Well, just for the sake of the the story, my kid who lives right outside D.C. has uh, the COVID, has felt pretty terrible for about five days. Uh, She seems to be on the mend, but yeah, it's ravaging the entire area. And it'll probably come to every area, right? That's the way it's worked. Mm-hmm. Sure. Oh, yeah, absolutely, if it's not already there. I heard a woman on uh, NPR today. San Francisco Bay Area is also an area of the country that's getting hard, hit hard, really, really hard with the Omicron right now. So they're starting to add back in masks and stuff like that. Whatevs. I heard a woman who went out to eat the other night. She hadn't eaten indoors her specific quote was i hadn't eaten indoors in 23 months you're a crazy person that's well that's my response 
or you're undergoing chemotherapy right now or something, but I doubt it. I think you're probably just a crazy person. I I've eaten out. I've eaten in banquet halls. I've said 75 times, maybe 100. Dinner table. In the last 23 that's... months. So, that's right, Mitt. And lunch. So a woman like her, when summer before last, I flew on a plane with my kids and stayed in a hotel and went to restaurants and did, I mean, just did full-on tourist vacation stuff in an empty San Diego. Um, do people like her think I'm, like, Playing Russian roulette like it's the same as spinning the chamber and putting a gun to my head? Is that the way? Yeah, yeah, that you're some sort of lunatic, ignorant Trump voter. That's interesting because I didn't feel like we were doing anything dangerous at all. I just thought, wow, look how cheap that this room is, 90 bucks, and the flight is like $75. I thought, this is awesome. Yeah. There's no traffic. Cool. Two years the that, without The eating. one that broke my heart was some somebody tweeted, I haven't hugged a friend in a year and a half. And I thought, you freaking crazy person. You are utterly unable to balance risk and reward. All you can do is focus on one shiny object. I pity you. Um, one more thing. I mentioned earlier that I door-dashed McDonald's last night. Quarter pounder with cheese is now eight bucks. Did you know that? Quarter Holy pounder cow. with cheese is eight bucks. That's where inflation is at gone. At the McDonald's or DoorDash? Well, that's just what it costs. And then they add yeah. in stuff after. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah, um, sure. Uh, but a buddy of mine who's a vegetarian said, all my vegetables are the same price. So there you go. <laughs> Thanks for that. <laughs> I'm DoorDashing McDonald's late at night. That's probably not the best lifestyle. A lot more on the way. Stay with us. Armstrong and Getty. McDonald's Big Mac, it's more than just another hamburger. There are two all-beef patties, special sauce, lettuce, cheese, pickles, and onions on a sesame seed bun. It's the anniversary of the Big Mac coming out? In 68, is that right? First race riots racked America's cities, and yet a big new double burger was available. Assassinations, turmoil, the Vietnam War, and a delicious... They call it a burger, but doesn't taste like yeah. any burger you've ever had in your life. There's as much bread as meat, but uh, who's, who's going to quibble? Whilst being Who came delicious? up with the phrase all beef patty, by the way? Were there like semi-beef patties? Half beef, half raccoon? Uh, you know, beef chicken combos? What does it's that mean? M- more apt now than probably ever before with all the impossible meat sort of things out there that aren't actually meat. Uh, got a lot of good stuff to come, including how Americans actually feel about Roe versus Wade. You're going to hear over and over again. Seventy percent were against it being overturned. Com- it is the fact which which is true, yet completely misleading. So a friend of mine sent me the actual legislation that's being proposed to the 117th Congress to make it a federal situation. This whole restorative justice in schools thing that is caught on in various states around the country, making it a federal law. Oh, boy. And uh, I don't know if you know what that is. It's basically not punishing kids for doing anything wrong. Is basically, well, that's the, that's the reality of what it is. What it was intended to be is, look, there are uh, kids from certain communities 
who are disproportionately getting suspended from schools, and we need to stop that because it's racist, and uh, we're going to stop that. So now nobody gets punished at any school for anything, really. Okay, and we're going to get to that next half hour. Is that right? I was going to read these texts. Am I not supposed to? Oh, okay. I thought we were doing the college admissions thing. Ah! Misunderstanding. Yes, I would say so. Oh, yeah. Anyway, I'll keep going. So making it a federal law sounds like a horrible idea to me. So a buddy of mine texted that to me, and I responded with, Fantastic. Let's make this policy national. I deal with this. I used a bad word. I used a swear. I deal with this policy, it seems like, once a week with one of my kids. It's a disaster. The bad kids get zero discipline, and the good kids come to have zero respect for authority because they learn that authority doesn't actually do anything to protect them. That's what kids are learning at school. I know it. I've heard it from their own mouths, not just my kids, other kids. They have learned that the authorities will not step in and do anything to help you if something, if you're being picked on or something bad is happening, because the schools are not allowed to. Now, legally, they can't in some areas, so I don't blame them, I guess, because it's just the law. But you realize it's a problem on both ends. Not only do the bad kids not get punished, so they think, well, I guess I can do whatever I want. The other kids now think, okay, there's no such thing as an authority that is going to try to help me out here. And um, another response to that was... Uh, this is from, who did this come from? I want to make sure I get this right for the topic of the comment. This is from a teacher who said there was an incident at the middle school. I don't know what school this is. There was an incident at the middle school, the restorative practice about a stolen cookie. For an hour, they met three adults and two students. The two administrators make about $200 an hour to deal with these problems. That day at lunch, the kids stole another cookie from the same kid and smiled and laughed while he ate the cookie. Of course he did, because mm-hmm. you brought them both in there, acted like they're both just as guilty for what happened, made them say they liked each other, and then nothing happened. So the kids stole the cookie from the same kid's lunch again. Bullying is worse now in schools than it was when I was a kid. That is just a fact. How do you lamos not understand that? Well, and the same progressives who promote these policies make various radio stations. I know our stations in California run these public service announcements saying bullying is wrong. Bullying should not happen. Meanwhile, you can't enforce any anti-bullying uh, rules in schools. Not at all. So kids get the hell bullied out of them, and the teachers and, and, and administrators do nothing. I'm glad you brought that up, because that is the interesting part of it that, that strikes me. There's more anti-bullying PSAs on the radio and TV than ever in a lifetime. Yet it's worse than it's ever been because of this stupid, moronic, restorative justice policy. Yeah, beautiful. Well, beautiful. maybe we're going to make it national now so that it'll come to your state. Uh, speaking of schools, what actually gets you admitted into the elite universities and who's kept out and why? Really interesting. Plus, you're going to hear over and over, most Americans are against overturning Roe v. Wade. The truth is much, much more subtle than that, and we'll bring it to you. If you can't stay tuned, grab the podcast, Armstrong and Getty On Demand. Armstrong and Getty. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, 
the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleh Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to, to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. You know what's interesting about... Crank it up there, Michael. Star Wars music. You know what's interesting about May 4th? Yeah, the disco version of the Star Wars music. (laughs) What's interesting about May 4th becoming Star Wars days, like both my kids at two different schools encouraged to wear Star Wars t-shirts today. Because it's May 4th, may the 4th be with you. I feel like that's a fairly recent invention. It wasn't around when the movies came out, was it? May 4th being something? No, I think it's a product of uh, geeks connecting on the internet. But did somebody just think of it? Hey, May 4th, May the 4th. Like, if you had a lisp, it would sound like the force. Did somebody just think of that, like, decades (laughs) after Star Wars? Yes, yes. (laughs) Or, or again, people thought of it immediately, but nobody knew they thought of it because there was no way Uh, for every geek in the planet to connect with every other geek in the planet. That's a very good point. Thank you. You're all weak. Who gets into elite universities and who doesn't why? The answer will shock you. Stay with us. Have you seen Star Wars yet, the original one? I don't think so. Wow. Wow. That's just sad. Anyway, uh, you've seen all like the, the, the spinoff stuff, The Mandalorian. That's like a family oh, yeah. favorite, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. A yeah. yeah. couple times we've seen Mandalorian stuff. Hmm. The It's the, 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 um, the special effects on the older ones is just so... So weak compared to the modern stuff. 
Yeah, they're they're primitive, uh, definitely, but amazing at the time. Sure. Anyway, uh, so uh, back to the whole uh, Supreme Court leak thing, at least briefly, and the various theories of who might have leaked. The left is claiming this, to my mind, convoluted idea that the leak was designed to pressure conservative justices into not abandoning the positions they'd staked out preliminarily yeah. in the first draft of the blah, blah, blah. And the view from the right is... Yeah, an angry young clerk saw that Roe v. Wade was going to get overturned and went crazy and leaked it. You know, I think I think the simpler explanation is usually the right one. That's almost that certainly not a crime, according to practically everybody. So yeah, I was I was wondering when people were talking about bringing them to justice. I thought, what's the law? They can root them out and fire them, I suppose, like company policy. But uh, you didn't commit a crime. Yeah, the old root and fire. Anyway, <laughs> we'll see what happens, I suppose, and the identity of the leaker will be known at some point. But uh, the point was made uh, quite beautifully uh, on the dispatch um, that uh, most of the stories that uh, that are discussing how Americans feel, and they are everywhere. If you're a news junkie or like us, you make our living this way, you're battered with quotes about 70% of Americans don't believe Roe versus Wade should be overturned. There's a hell of a lot more to it than that. Most of the stories point to recent polling from Washington News, ABC News, CNN that show a majority of voters oppose overturning Roe v. Wade. And it's certainly possible a sweeping Supreme Court decision could prove a vulnerability for the GOP in November. Several, uh, uh, blah, blah, blah. But Americans' views on abortion are nuanced, and the electoral implications of overturning Roe are far more likely mixed than the top-line polling numbers would suggest. While some surveys suggest as many as 7 in 10 Americans support Roe v. Wade or at least don't want it overturned. Others found that nearly that many incorrectly believed overturning the president would outlaw abortion entirely. As we said multiple times yesterday, I thought that was maybe the most important thing for everybody to realize. The average... I was going to say idiot. That's not fair. But the average idiot... On behalf (laughs) of idiots, I protest. When I asked if he should overturn Roe versus Wade, thought that, that overturning it outlawed abortion. And a lot of you probably still think that that's not what's occurring here. Yeah, and I don't think it's a coincidence that 70% were against overturning it and 70% thought it outlawed abortion. No, of course. Or it would outlaw abortion. No, no, that's not a coincidence. Isn't that something? 48% of respondents in a recent Gallup survey believe abortion should be legal, quote, only under circumstances circumstances that's 48 percent compared to 32 percent who think it always should be and 19 percent who think it never should be meaning there are 67 percent of americans who believe abortion should either be completely legal or only under certain circumstances 67 percent that's a pretty pretty different number than you were hearing all day long Respondents were split just about 50-50 when asked to identify themselves as either pro-choice or pro-life because it's so important that we label everybody. And so support for abortion trails off dramatically over the course of a pregnancy, a point we've made over and over again. Yeah. Well, that's because if you've ever seen a sonogram with the fingers and toes and the beaten heart and they're, hey, look, they're moving their arms and feet around. It's kind of hard to justify it. Large majorities think abortion should be legal for rape, incest, and the life of the mother type exceptions, plus severe fetal defects. Uh, Washington Post columnist Megan McArdle pointed out last year, uh, noting that there was next to no gender gap in responses. Men and women answered the question almost exactly the same. I saw a bunch of polls on that on a different thread that I thought were real. I didn't know this. 
because it's regularly men shouldn't decide what women do with their bodies, all that sort of stuff. It turns out they track with all the different exceptions over the years. The numbers track almost exactly the same since we're 50 50 divided on this. The men and women are together. There is many, you know, men who care about it as women who care about it each direction. Interesting. I didn't know that. If you. If you know the facts, that argument, men are telling women what to do with their bodies, that argument is a complete canard. But I'll bet a lot of the activists sincerely believe that 90% of women, because they're young college women often at these rallies, they believe 90% of women think abortion should be on demand all the time, because 90% of the women that surround them believe that. Um, uh, da, 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 da. Only a minority of Americans think abortion should be obtainable in order to avoid the major life disruption of a healthy pregnancy. Well, thank God. Uh, November 21, 2021 report uh, concurred. Most Americans do not want the Supreme Court to overturn Roe v. Wade. They are, however, willing to put some restrictions on abortion's use. Although the questions are not asked regularly, majorities of Americans favor notification of partners. Interesting. You would never, ever, no. ever hear that from the mainstream media. No. The majority of Americans are in favor of parental consent for teenagers seeking abortions. Majority are in favor of a 24-hour waiting period. And they say abortions should be generally legal in the first trimester, but oppose it in the second and third trimesters. By enormous numbers, by the way. Yeah, and it's a bipartisan well, that's because you know, some of these. I almost. I'm not even going to go down that road because some of these uh, discussions are very rough discussions. But past a certain point, if it's a baby, however you became to be pregnant, whatever your financial situation is, or whatever, there's still a human being in there, and you don't get to kill it, which is what most Americans think after a certain point. By vast, vast majorities, but because the media are so closely tied to the extremists on the issue, you get the idea that at best, you know, your opinion is 50-50, at best. Well, I wish we had different words. I wish there was a different word for first, instead of all being abortion, I wish there were different words for first, second, or third trimester. Because the idea of, oh, so you don't want a woman who was raped to get an abortion at, you know, two weeks before the kid's going to be born is a completely different thing than you've been pregnant for three weeks. I mean, it's just they're all different situations by a lot. Yeah, yeah. You know, I'm tempted to read this email from um, from a gal who uh, she and her husband were pregnant. She was pregnant with their second child and, and lost it, had a miscarriage at 18 weeks. Okay, 18 weeks. And she describes the heartbreaking reality of when um, she, quote unquote, passed everything, mm. the medical term. Mm. It, it, the, the, the child came out of her and a compassionate nurse allowed her to take a few photos of the Ooh. baby, wow. which was clearly a baby, hands and feet totally visible. Um, went home devastated, uh, opted to make funeral arrangements to bury their son, which gave them some peace and healing. But the idea that that's not a baby or not even worth discussing is absolutely vacant of logic and morality. On the other hand, like the vast majority of Americans, I believe that if early on in your pregnancy you decide, it's not for me, I don't want to be pregnant, there's nothing that society can do or will do to stop you, and frequently the cure would be worse than the disease. I know a lot of you disagree with that. You're 100% you know, pro-lifers. I totally respect that. I think it's unworkable in a modern society. 
And when we can talk about it more someday, but um, like the vast, vast, vast majority of Americans, I say early on, I don't like it, but I can live with it. After the first trimester, only very special circumstances. If you believe that, congratulations. Practically everyone agrees with you. Mm-hmm. Left out of the discussion regularly, though, that we're in agreement, most of us. Wouldn't it be yeah. easier to talk about? It's the same. Yeah, same with immigration. We're in agreement, most of us. People that are already here, been here a while, working hard. You got to make them citizens. They've been here too long. Uh, got to secure the border. Got to do that. But you can't put those two things together to make it happen. Well, I think anyone who uh, refuses to even acknowledge the existence of the other side's uh, most powerful argument and claims to be an honest broker or an honest media member, for instance is uh, not to be taken seriously and certainly not to be respected. That'd be a good presidential candidate at some point, or president, maybe after you're already elected president, to have a poster of average American. Here are things the average American thinks. That'd be very educational, I think, for a lot of people to find out. The vast majority of Americans believe X, sure. yeah. Yeah, that'd be very helpful in terms of trying to get policy going. So since this is what the average American thinks... We're going to legalize the however many million people are already here, and we're going to now not let illegals in anymore, because that's what the average American wants. I don't know. I don't know if you could get elected yeah. that way, but... Uh, yeah, I don't know. That's an interesting question. It'd be tough to get through the primaries, but you would have to be willing to take the heat, because cowardly, cowardly Congress never would. Or, getting back to the topic of the day, this is what the average American believes. Abortion should be legal, but only in the first trimester, except for expe- uh, uh, special circumstances. So that's what we're going to craft as a policy. And in most people, the vast majority of people, as you just described in the polls, would say, okay, cool, I'm okay with that. I mean, it's easily a political winner. Yeah, I don't think it'll ever be federal law, or at least I hope it isn't. I, um, uh, it's going to go back to the states if this decision, uh, the final version, is anything like mm-hmm. the preliminary one. And, right. and it might be substantially different. Um, and, you know, we got into a quick uh, text conversation with a friend overnight that... Um, it could uh, contribute to the self-selection of people who go to conservative areas, who go to liberal areas, red states, blue states, that sort of thing, and we continue to divide ourselves. It should be interesting to observe. Oh, that's right. i got to do the college admissions thing. Cool. I want to hear that. Whoopi Goldberg got angry, apparently, on The View about oh, the no. Uh, Roe Oh, no. Why wasn't I alerted? I don't, I don't, I'm not even going to like click on that. I don't want to hear what she got angry about. I don't hear what she was saying. I'm not, I'm not, if you want to hear it, you'll have to go somewhere else. Was Joy Behar upset, too? (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, stay with us. Armstrong and Getty. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. I'm thinking about it quite often. 
Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleha Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., we dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to, to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Armstrong and Getty Show. If you're going to boo somebody who get elbowed in the eye and face running on blood, you should get flipped off. So I'll take the fine. I'll go do an appearance and make up the money. But it felt really good to flip them off. So if they're going to, if they're going to be that nasty, I can be nasty too. And I'm assuming the cheers was because they know I'll get fined. Great, I make $25 million a year. I should be just fine. So that's the first time I've ever heard an NBA player say what we all thought. So Draymond Green, Golden State Warriors, gets hit hard in the eyes. I was all closed there like he was a boxer after a fight more than an NBA game. And uh, he says, they find me $10,000. I make $25 million a year. Whatever. I don't care. Haven't we all thought that whenever we heard yes. about a player getting fined? Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> So, uh, speaking of things we've all thought uh, and needed to have confirmed, perhaps, I came across this in the Wall Street Journal, and it really hit home. My kids are all in their 20s, uh, including one who just graduated from college last year, and so the whole college admissions process thing is pretty fresh in my mind. Uh, All three of my kids went. uh, Whether their degrees will do them a damn bit of good in life is still unclear in a couple of their cases. But anyway, uh, the headline is she scored 1550 on her SATs, which is skyrocket high. Top U.S. colleges still rejected her. A star student in Texas found herself with a pile of rejection letters from elite schools. What happened? Caitlin, who's 18, been an academic standout since she uh, studied algebra in third grade. Hello. Crazy scores on tests, an unweighted 3.95 grade point average, founder of her school's accounting club. Yeah, did her parents consider photoshopping her body onto a pole vaulter? Oh, I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, The whole, we're supposed to be outraged that rich people bribed crooked coaches thing. Jack and I never were. We thought the whole (laughs) thing was funny. I still think it's funny. 
And people are doing jail time for it. But anyway, I'm glad you brought that up. Stay tuned for that idea. She also performed in and directed about 30 plays, sang in the school's choir, scored top marks on the test she has taken so far for 11 advanced placement classes, helped run a summer camp, and held down a part-time job. Couldn't get in. She was cautiously optimistic when she applied to top U.S. colleges, but institutions such as Stanford, Harvard, Yale, Brown, Cornell, and Northwestern all rejected her. I didn't expect it to be that bad, this bad, she said. The responses are part of a wave of rejection swamping top students who applied to many highly selective schools during the most competitive year on record. And that competitive year is a factor. Harvard received 61,000-plus applications during the current admissions year. 61,000 accepted under 2,000. That's 3.2%. Brown was 5%. Yale, 4.5% of their tens of thousands of applications. Excuse me. So you might be wondering who's getting in. Well, we'll get to that. Uh, applications were so inflated in part because more than three quarters of colleges and universities have stopped mandating entrance exams mm. because they were deemed to be against equity, diversity and inclusion. So no more entrance exams. More students tried their luck at selective schools that placed greater emphasis on factors such as grades and racial and socioeconomic diversity. Okay, Uh, by the way, I didn't mention that this girl from Texas is a white girl. Thoroughly middle-class white girl. So they already have mentioned, yeah, yeah, uh, grades like racial and socioeconomic diversity. High-volume meant uh, admission officers spend just a few minutes in reviewing individual applications, so there's enormous pressure to stand out one way or another, and your accomplishments are too complicated, so you can't stand out that way. For students such as uh, Caitlin, the odds are particularly long. She is a middle-class white female from a public high school in Texas who wants to study business. Each characteristic places her in an overrepresented group, a college admissions counselor said. So if you're overrepresented, you're going to have a harder time getting in. If you're white, you're going to have a harder time getting in. If you're a woman, you're going to have a harder time getting in, which we'll get to in a little more detail. Um... So if you've ever been told, no, that's not true, it's absolutely true. So what white students are getting into, say, Harvard, this is the part that I love. Nearly half of the white students admitted to Harvard in the last five years were recruited athletes, legacy students. That means mama and papa went to Harvard, children of faculty and staff, or on the dean's interest list. Ooh, I do find this student interesting, which means parents or relatives who have donated to Harvard. There you go. So a significant chunk of the white people who get into Harvard got there because their parents bribed the university. They just did it the right way by writing a check to Harvard. Yeah, so when when you were talking, I thought, I'm not bothered at... As I, I would like to have universities where you just plain take the best people. I think that would be good for America, that we have mm-hmm. institutions that just take the best, no matter what else, just the smartest people, to utilize the talent. But I was uh, thinking, okay, if she lost her slot to some uh, black kid in a suburban whatever, okay. But that's not what's keeping her out. It's all the rich white kids that are taking her slot. That are are average people. They're average people, but their parents are rich. 
Well, right, yeah, or, or, or mommy and daddy went to Harvard. Yeah, exactly, rich or connected. Um, and uh, so, you know, if you are, and if you accept the fact that, well, we can only accept a certain number of white people, um, if you're okay with that, just understand that it's not on merit, it's on rich and connected. She ended up going to Arizona State to study business on an academic scholarship. The acceptance rate there this year was 88%. She'll be fine. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think she'll have a great life. She's a smart, hardworking gal. She says, if I'd known the reality of it, I would not have killed myself to achieve the way I did. It didn't do me any good. Oh, oh. See, see, when I talk about harvesting our talent, we're not. That's bad. If you miss an hour of the show, grab the podcast, Armstrong and Getty On Demand. Armstrong and Getty. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleh Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take D.C. on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. From LinkedIn News, I'm Jesse Hempel, host of the Hello Monday podcast. In my 20s... I knew what career success looked like. In midlife, it's not that simple. Work is changing, we are changing, and there's no guidebook for how to make sense of it. Start your week with the Hello Monday podcast. Listen to Hello Monday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.